But that's what immaturity looks like, right? It, it looks like when God tells you to do something, you like, really? Like, really? What it looks like is when, when somebody's gossiping about you and you gotta back to them. Oh, man. I could preach on gossip, guys. Like, like, as powerfully as I've seen God move in this church, I have also seen, I've been close enough to this church to see Satan manipulate in this church as well. And I've seen Satan divide in this church as well. And, and, and one of those things, the biggest way that God or, or that Satan moves in this church, I think, is gossip. And, and the reason he does that is because Satan's actually powerless against the enemy. So what he does is he gets the church. No, no, sorry. Satan is actually powerless against the church. So, so what the enemy does to the church is he gets the church to work against itself. In the form of gossip. Because what he's afraid of is a generation, a church, that will build each other up and be united. Because once that happens, nothing will be able to stop him. Welcome to the PC Youth Pod. Thank you for joining us. Part of the creation story, one thing was made. And the thing after that was dependent on the previous thing. It is important to know that we are dependent on something. We choose what it is, and it isn't always God. So grab your Bibles and something to write with as we get into this week's message, Made Dependent. Like, I'm just burdened to get this to you. This is so good. Okay, so we're going to start in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 and 1, the very beginning. Okay, Genesis 1. You go there? You going there? We got it? Okay. Genesis 1, in the beginning. Okay, we're going to stop there. So in the beginning, in order for there to be a beginning, God had to make a beginning. So in the beginning, God creates time, the beginning. Okay, in the beginning, God created. Okay, we're going to stop there again. In the beginning, God created. In order for God to create, there needs to be a space to create. So God creates the space to create, which is space. So here we are, Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created, and God has already made two things, time and space. I sorted this blank white canvas for him to do the rest of his artwork in. Now, at this rate, we'll never get through Genesis 1. So I'm going to paraphrase the rest of it. The first day, God makes light. Okay, second day, God separates the waters and makes the sky. The third day, God makes dry land appear from the waters. And the fourth day, God spins the stars in the universe. And by this time, I think God's just having fun, just spinning things into existence. Like, Okay, day five, God makes sea creatures and birds. Day six, God made animals and man in his own image. And day seven, God rested. Now, I I took you through all the days of creation because I wanted you to see something. I wanted you to see that everything God made in creation was always dependent upon the last thing he made in creation. So, get this, watch this. Fish are dependent upon water... So God made the fish before he made water. 
Bears are dependent upon fish. So God made the fish before he made bears. Without the sun, vegetation cannot photosynthesize. So God made the sun first because plants are dependent upon the sun. Birds are dependent upon the sky to fly. So God made the sky before he made the birds. And on the seventh day, I think in Sunday school when we're taught about the seventh day where God rested, we think like God took a nap. Like, like he was tired from his creation, so he like, like he rested, like he took a nap. But, but why would God of infinite power and, and authority to spin the universe and the galaxies in such an articulate way take a nap? What we see here is that God wasn't actually tired. He rested on the seventh day to show us that we are dependent upon him. So we're dependent upon God, could you imagine if God made creation out of order? Like, like, like if he made fish before he made water. Like, like it would be absolute chaos. So in all of creation, it is very articulately organized and God had it all figured out and mapped out in his head beforehand. So that brings me to the title of my message, Made Dependent. As we are made dependent upon God. Now, I want to be very clear as I talk to you guys today, because I'd rather be, I'd rather communicate better than I preach. So when I talk about what your dependence, that word dependence, I'm talking about what your soul, that's your mind, your will, and your emotions are looking for to be sustained. That's what your dependence is. So you can write that down. I think it's on the screen somewhere. Your, your dependence is what your soul is looking for to be sustained. And oftentimes I think that we can um, think that we became dependent upon God after the fall. Like, like God was like, they sinned, oh now they need me. Like, but we were always created to be dependent upon him. So since we were created to be dependent upon God... By design, we will always be dependent upon something. And it does not have to be God. Have you ever had a season in your life where you've been dependent upon something else other than God? I know I've had plenty. Trust me. Uh, one of my, my seasons, I remember I was so dependent upon money and, and finances. I just wanted to, 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 to get to another level, but, but, what happened was that my value ended up being subject to a number. And, and so we put our, our, our dependence upon things that were never meant to sustain us other than our creator. And, and it's, it's easy to get caught in these things like, like, like relationships, like putting your dependence in a relationship. But again, that's not fair to the other person because that puts them in a, in a position that was only meant for God as our sustainer. So we put it in social media and we put it in uh, other things. And how about this one? We put it in ministry. What? Cameron, I thought ministry was a good thing. But it wasn't meant to sustain you. Ministry is way more draining than it is sustaining. I'll just be <laughs> very honest with you. It's very draining. And it's not something that sustains us. It's not that it's a bad thing. It's not that your, your giftings are a bad thing. Your giftings are a great thing. They're a gift from God. But they were never meant to sustain you. And so we need to put our trust 
in our sustainer, not our giftings. We need to fall in love with the person of Jesus Christ, not our giftings. I have a verse for you, but I don't like to just give scripture without giving context. So this is Jesus at the well with the, with the woman, the Samaritan. And Jesus says, so they're talking, the woman is getting something to drink. And he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I give them shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. John four, fourteen. Now, in this verse, Jesus isn't talking about a thirst in your throat. He's talking about a thirst in your soul. So each of us have this thirst in our soul that's, that, that can only be quenched by living water, which is Jesus, which is God, which is that living water. The only one who can sustain us is Jesus. So now that we know who our sustainer is, who we're supposed to be dependent on, who we were made to be dependent on, an indicator that you are not dependent upon God is immaturity. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, this point was a lot more experience-based than it was biblically-based. <laughs> because I realized that the most immature moments in my life came from when I was not sustained by Christ. And, and honestly, recently, uh, I have a story for you. So, recently, I was at Lake Foster, and um, I was coaching this water polo tournament. I recently got into coaching water polo. It's been super fun, super great. But I was coaching this water polo tournament, and it was like 11 o'clock at night. I had just gotten back to my RV because we were all camping. And as I was going into the door, unlocking my RV, my parents' RV, uh, the God spoke to me to talk to the person in the next-door campsite and tell her about Christ. But I did not want to. <laughs> Because I was tired. And so, and so I, I decided to, I'm just, I'm just gonna ignore the Holy Spirit and I'm just gonna try and do my own thing. And so I go into the RV and, and I, and I set my stuff down and I set my keys down and I realize I gotta go outside to get some, my clothes for my car. So I go outside and I shut the door behind me in the RV. So I'm outside of the RV now and I get my stuff and I try to open the RV again, but it's locked. And my keys are inside the RV. So I lock myself out of the RV. So now I'm outside. It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm in the cold. Don't want to be in the cold. And I'm tired. And I'm left alone with my next door neighbor. And the Holy Spirit says, Now you're going to tell her about me? Okay. But it would have been a lot easier if I had just obeyed in the first place. And not had my keys locked outside my car. But what I didn't tell you about, about the part of that story was that the week before I hadn't done any devotions and I hadn't really spent any time with God because He wasn't my sustainer. And so, in a moment of immaturity, it came out. But that's what immaturity looks like, right? It, it looks like when God tells you to do something, you... Really? Like, 
Really? What it looks like is when, when somebody's gossiping about you and you gotta back to them. Oh man. I could preach on gossip, guys. Like, like, as powerfully as I've seen God move in this church, I have also seen, I've been close enough to this church to see Satan manipulate in this church as well. And I've seen Satan divide in this church as well. And, and, and one of those things, the biggest way that God, or, or that Satan moves in this church, I think, is gossip. And the reason he does that is because Satan's actually powerless against the enemy. So what he does is he gets the church. No, no, sorry. Satan is actually powerless against the church. So so what the enemy does to the church is he gets the church to work against itself. In the form of gossip. Because what he's afraid of is a generation, a church, that will build each other up and be united. Because once that happens, nothing will be able to stop him. I've heard this one too, um, something that's, uh, somebody once told me, you know, I'm just, I'm just not getting anything out of devotions lately. Like, like, like lately it's been a little stale. Like I haven't been getting anything out of it. Well, maybe it's because devotions aren't for you. Like, hold on. I don't spend time with Spencer and say, uh, you know, I would spend time, more time with Spencer. I just don't get anything out of it. So, you know, I just, maybe I won't spend more time with him because I don't get anything out of it. Like, like, maybe devotions aren't actually for you, they're for God. And just to spend time with him in real relationship with your heavenly father. Psalms 103, this is one of my favorite songs. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. It's a psalm of David where he's literally telling his soul what to do. To bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Here's one. When God is my sustainer, when I'm dependent upon God, when God is my sustainer, he leads me to tell others about him. You thought this message was all going to be about you, didn't you? Yeah, no, because if it was all about you, it wouldn't be worth it, right? The last thing that God said when he was on earth was go into all the nations, baptizing them. Go, just go into all the nations. Just tell them about me. And if it was the last thing that Jesus ever said on earth, I would think it would be pretty important. And so a good indicator that you're doing it right is if he leads you to tell others about him. We need to get, I think, a little more comfortable being uncomfortable. Like, is it okay to say that? Like, we need to, like, what I realized is that we're kind of called to be weirdos. Like, think about it. Think about all the Bible heroes. We got John the Baptist. We got, uh, who else we got? We got, uh, like, like King David and all those. They're kind of weirdos, really. Like, like, okay. John the Baptist wore... What he wore, like sheep fur, and like like he was he like ate these weird foods, and and David was a shepherd, which was really abnormal because he went and fought this giant giant that he wasn't supposed to fight, and he fought him with uh, this thing, <laughs> yeah, 
And that was abnormal and it was weird. So as Christians, we're kind of called to be weird. Is that okay to say? We're called to be weirdos. Somebody say, I'm a weirdo. Nice, okay. But Paul says, even more undignified than this will I become. There's a, there's a, there's a way we, got, we need to make room for him a little bit. To become undignified. To get uncomfortable. When God is my sustainer, he leads me to tell others about him. I want to take you to a passage of scripture. This is Mark 4.35. Mark 4.35. So this is a passage of scripture. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture, actually. Um, This is when Jesus calms the storm. So here we are. Jesus calms the storm. On that day, when evening had come, He said to them, this is Jesus talking, Jesus talking to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, the disciples took Jesus with them in the boat just as he was. So hold on, this is a journey that Jesus told the disciples to go on. But it was the disciples' responsibility To bring Jesus with them. Do you know that when you step into your purpose, you still got to take Christ with you? Like when you step into your calling, when you step into the relationship that God called you to, you still got to bring him with you. He's not where your purpose is. You got to bring him along. So the disciples took Jesus. Good job, disciples. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. Well, it's a good thing they got Jesus. Because with or without Jesus, the windstorm is coming. So the disciples took Jesus. There's a great windstorm. And the waves were crashing into the boat. So that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern. So, little um, history lesson. Uh, the stern on these boats was actually where the rudder was, which is what controls the boat. There's something that, um, there's a sail, and then there's the rudder. Um, but during windstorms, you take the sail down, because if you don't take the sail down, then your boat's going to get tossed to and fro, right? So you take the sail down, and the boat is controlled by the rudder, which is in the stern. So Jesus is in the boat. He's At most likely the rudder... I'm just talking way too loud. I'm sorry. So he's most likely at the point where the boat is controlled. This is good. If there's anybody that I want controlling my boat during a windstorm, it's probably Jesus. So, Jesus is at the wheel of the boat with the disciples in a windstorm. Says, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. So Jesus is asleep at the wheel during a raging windstorm. This is fantastic. So, so, so we're in the, gosh, okay. Raging windstorm. We've got all the disciples here. We got the whole, everybody's here. Raging windstorm. And 
Jesus is in the wheel of the boat, and this, this is Jesus. And Jesus, hold on. You know, I, I thought it was pretty abnormal at first for Jesus to be sleeping in the boat. But then I realized it's not the first time God rested. You see, back in Genesis 1, God rested to show man that we're dependent upon him. But in Mark 4, God rested to give man an opportunity to depend on him. Oh. And they woke him and said, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? So much like us. God, why don't you care? God, don't you see me? We are literally bailing water. Meanwhile, Jesus is asleep. But he awoke. Praise God. He woke up. And he rebuked the wind and the sea and said, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you tripping? Have you still no faith? Like, like, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You remember when uh, Peter fell in the water and and Jesus reaches out his hand and he says, Oh, Peter, where's your faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Like Jesus, that was really cool when you did that whole water and the grape juice trick. But who is he that even the wind and the waves obey him? See, the disciples were still learning who Jesus was in this moment. Because I think if they actually knew who Jesus was, they wouldn't have been afraid in the first place. Right? Like, if Jesus was sleeping on it. And if they had seen Jesus, there's a good chance. And if, and if they had known who Jesus really was, like, like I don't think they would have been tripping. You see, see what the disciples thought was that because Jesus was resting, that he wasn't in control of the situation. Can I just say that, that just because God is resting does not mean that he's not doing a work? Like he had it all under control, right? Like, like he had it figured out in his mind that he was going to calm the sea that, or, 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 uh, that, that the disciples in them were all going to be okay. I can't get close to that speaker. That's what it was. We're good. <laughs> so. 
Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Even though Jesus was asleep at the wheel, he was still in control the whole time. Somebody say, the whole time. And what something that the enemy wants to lie to you about is that when God is resting, that he is not working in your life. Do you know that an anchor doesn't have to be seen to know it's doing a work? Like, like this is what we do. We, we come to church and we sing, God, you're the anchor of my soul. And then we drop our anchor. And we're like, I don't see you. Like, I've never seen a sailor drop their anchor and be like, oh, it's not working. But you only know it's working until the morning. When it, when, when the storm passes and you haven't moved. And you realize that it sustained you. Jesus wasn't surprised by the storm. He's not surprised by yours either. He looked at the storm and he said, peace, be still. Peace, be still. It's a good word. And on that day when evening came, he said, let us go across to the other side. You know, the disciples before this, they still had a chance to say no. You could say no to God. Does anybody know that? You could say no. At least the disciples did it. Like, I don't think we give the disciples enough credit. You know what I mean? Like, at least they were doing it. They got in the boat. That's a good thing. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was in the other boats. Can we get the worship team up here? Is that all right, worship team? Woohoo! Everybody, give it up for our worship team! Woohoo! Yeah! Wow, that was a great clap. That was a great clap. So God created us to be sustained by him. We have a choice to be sustained by him. But it's also a discipline. So we need to be disciplined to be sustained by God. And when he is my sustainer, he leads me to tell others about him. And I feel like like there's somebody in here who, who may have been facing a storm. And, and if I can give clarity to somebody's season right now, like, like I would love that to, to just give clarity to you about your season. That, that when you see that Jesus is resting, when you don't see him moving, that he's still working. God, where are you? Don't you care? And people love to talk about the times when you're leading worship and you're on stage, but they don't like to talk about the 3 a.m.s when she broke up with you the night before and you're crying, God, don't you care? 
just want you to know, just because he was asleep, doesn't mean he didn't care. And if God's not worried about it, I don't think we should be either. Like if God's sleeping on it, maybe I should be too. God's not surprised by your storm. And I think sometimes we treat God like he is. Like, God, like you don't know my circumstance. Like, woe is me. Like, like I'm sure you haven't seen one like this before. But God is not surprised by your storm. I want to give you guys an opportunity to respond. So if you guys could bow your heads and close your eyes again. To stay caught up with us as a youth ministry, go to PC Youth Salem on Instagram and YouTube. And join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific Time for our live stream. Have a great week.